You're listening to the greatest multifamily investment advice show. My name is Adam Ross, and now I'm talking everything multifamily for an in-depth conversation, and I will be diving deep into raising capital, deals, and underwriting process. Welcome back to the greatest multifamily advice show. Today we have Riley O'Kell, an exceptional guest and real estate investor out of Toronto, uh, from Western University grad with a lot of debt to coaching and small multifamily and raising capital. How are you, Riley? I'm doing well. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Adam. Thanks so much for being with us today, and I appreciate you taking the time. Yeah, no pleasure to be here. I've I've uh, listened to you podcast for a little while so I'm excited to be a part of it thanks a lot yeah. so I would like I would like to start with the beginning what was the motivation to start on real estate a couple of different things that kind of collided at the same point in time so what uh, what I always wanted to do ever since university was to start a renewable energy business and the business was going to be either like geothermal or solar panels something like that mm. and I uh, my background before that was in running just a, a very simple home maintenance company where we cleaned Mm. windows and we did, you know, ease trough cleaning and that sort of thing. Mm. And so when I got exposed to the upfront costs that I'd have to kind of put in or invest into the solar panel or geothermal company, it was like in the seven figure range. And, uh, you know, with a background of just like buying window cleaning, like salt flake and squeegees, it was like a few hundred bucks and you could start your own home maintenance company. This was pretty extreme. So I went to the bank to try to get a loan and the banks just simply laughed at me when I said I had no assets and I wanted this seven figure loan at like the age of 21. And um, so anyway, uh, you know, left the bank pretty discouraged, but also like now quite curious around what are assets? What do banks consider to be assets? If you were to get a loan, like what would an asset look like? Mm. And I realized that like stocks and things of that nature just weren't considered to be assets. So it was tangible items, things that you could go and you could touch that actually had intrinsic value in and of itself, like real estate. And so really started to dive into real estate investing. And I had heard about people in my network doing that sort of thing and being landlords and wasn't really that passionate or like didn't really desire to do that Mm. until another thing collided here with like that curiosity of what are assets and how do I get assets? One of my um, connections that I had in London, Ontario, um, his name's Corey. He actually had one of the, or has one of the, the largest privately owned real estate portfolios in Southwestern Ontario mm-hmm. has over a hundred units and, um, yeah, just killed it. And he was looking for kind of a right-hand man, someone to help him out with acquisitions, property management, renovation management. And so I actually teamed up with him and helped to, to manage his portfolio for over two and a half, two and a half years. And that was my foot in the door with like, actually getting exposed to the inner workings of a giant portfolio at scale, optimized, working really well. When and was soon that? enough, I just bought my first one. So that was just over five years ago. Oh, okay. So you started on 17? Sorry? You started on 17, 2017? Uh, yeah, yeah, roughly oh, 2016, okay. 2017. Yeah. And, and, and then you started your own yeah. portfolio? Then I started buying my own. You know, it, it's really only a matter of time. Um, I knew that... I wanted to own assets because I wanted to start businesses that needed me to have assets in order to get loans, essentially. Mm-hmm. And as well, like I wanted some passivity, some cash flow coming in. And I kind of considered that cash flow, and I still do consider that cash flow from the properties that I currently own mm-hmm. to be my safety net. It's like if I go and I do a crazy venture, like I 
go and I try to start up a renewable energy business or a solar uh, solar panel company or something that you know is a big endeavor. If it doesn't go so well, I still have that cash flow, the residual income coming in. It's kind of my safety net or my cushion where I can still live comfortably off of that money coming in. So I kind of looked at real estate and the cash flow of the portfolio is uh, kind of my foundation of the empire I'd like to grow and and what I'd like to do in business. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so uh, starting on, on the actual business, what was your initial target market back then and now? And what was your criteria like number wise? Like uh, it was multifamily, it was single family home. So what was it, your target market at the beginning and now? Sure. Yeah. Great question. I quickly realized that the strategy that I wanted to use was the Burr strategy. I find it's very, when you don't have that much money saved, like I really didn't have much when I started off. Hmm. It's nice to be able to do that forced appreciation where you're able to just put in money, do it strategically, refinance the money and keep your money moving. So Hmm. with that said, I was like looking to do the Burr. um, And as well, I wanted to like to get the biggest bang for my buck. (laughs) And I found that single family properties, unless you were doing like an Airbnb yeah. or a student rental, or if you were flipping, you were using, which I wasn't doing, but single families just didn't make any sense because for a single dwelling unit, they're just overpriced essentially, right? It's only one single dwelling unit. And in comparison to a multifamily, it's a very, very expensive single dwelling unit. Yeah. Um, and the reason why is you're just competing against families, people that are going to be living there with their, with their children and their pets and whatever. And they want their own privacy, but they want their own single dwelling. Um, whereas as an investor, that didn't really matter to me. So I, I really went right into focusing on two, three, and four unit buildings. And I kind of stopped at four units because I realized a lot of banks would consider five plus units to be commercial. Yeah. And I'd have to put in 25 plus percent for my down payment. Interest rates went up. It was just kind of a different ball game um, when you're looking at commercial. So I really did hyper-focus in on the property type being my two to four units. Okay. And which market is like, will you focus basically? Yeah, I started buying in Sarnia and then I went to London, um, sort of buying in Chatham and then St. Thomas recently. Okay. So what was your strategy with uh, inflation right now? Especially that you're focused on cash flow, cap rate. And so what is your like current criteria for cap rate on this current markets? Current criteria for cap rate. Um, it's an interesting question. Cap rate to me has always been like more of a popularity status where the the lower the number, the more popular that market. And therefore the numbers usually just don't make as much sense. Yeah. So that's kind of how I look at cap rate. When you're looking at multifamily commercial cap rate comes more in mind because the banks will look at cap rate. They really do obviously look at the net operating income and therefore they do the equation of that divided by the purchase price to get the cap rate. I don't necessarily go into commercial as much I'm looking to, but commercial does focus on cap rate. Whereas like my philosophy or what I focus on mainly is two to four units and cap rate doesn't really come into mind much. So only Um, the cash cash flow, the the cash flow per unit, um, per month, right? Is kind of what I'm looking at. At least $150 per unit per month in cash flow, bare minimum, ideally upwards of 300 a month per unit. So, so far, what was uh, really your preferred market so far? St. Thomas, Chatham, because Chatham and St. Thomas is late. I think it's a uh, small communities, but it's, uh, it was performing well on the last uh, three, four years. So what yeah. was the actual criteria for uh, cash flows there? Yeah, I would, I would say 
St. Thomas has been my favorite market thus far. I've, mm-hmm. We've bought kind of four right now in the last six months. Okay. And, um, and then we had bought quite a few more kind of like over a year ago. And some of the properties, like we bought a fourplex for 345,000 oh. and it's going to be worth upwards of 700 and bought a triplex for 392 that will be worth over, or actually just got appraised at 720. I thought it was going to get 650. So okay. it's like crazy large numbers where, um, you know, uh, we're able to burr the property at 125%, you know, so get out wow. all of the money from the down payment, the reno, the closing costs, and then as well, me and my JV partner have extra funds to play with after. So it's been, um, yeah, it's been a great market to be in for sure. I think it's been trying to keep up with the London and more and more people started to go to St. Thomas because of London, the nearest kind of largest yeah. city, the primary market there was just blowing up and doing so well that the satellite township being St. Thomas um, was like the go-to for a lot of people that were just priced out of London. So what was the challenge lately for you on St. Thomas? Biggest challenge yeah. for me in St. Thomas. Yeah, to find, especially um, uh, because sure. from what I hear, your focus on the stresses, properties, or uh, opportunities to find a deal. So, what was uh, the current challenge for you, especially with inflation, the appreciated markets around St. Thomas? So, what was the challenges for you? The challenges have always been the same for me. Like, yeah. they're not like major persisting challenges. Like, I think it will abs and flow like anything does in business, but mm. you know, it's always, it's always a challenge to find off market properties. Mm. Um, you know, that, that never goes away. It's just like a challenge or just something that we need to focus on is kind of how I look at it. But yeah, definitely, definitely can be a challenge to find them. Um, also another challenge right now is like finding vacant properties. Mm. Um, I don't prefer to do evictions, but like at the end of the day, it, if we really need to, cause the property's falling apart and maybe there's a work order from the city where it's just, it's like so damn distressed that we have to renovate it. But, you know, that that can be a challenge that was finding vacant units that we can renovate and do what we're good at, which is forced appreciation. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, yeah, I, I guess those those are the biggest ones for sure. Okay. Um, so, otherwise, uh, you know, the banks, the, the banks are touch and go right now with interest going up in Canada. So um, yeah. getting some things financed at the numbers that we want to, like at the A or V number, especially mm-hmm. um, that could be a challenge. But So how many units so far under management? Over 70. 70. Oh, that's really good progress on the last four or five years. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Okay. Can can we talk about a little bit about your um, the most successful deals, like how you got the deal, uh, how what was the conditions and closing and uh, all of the breakdowns for the actual refinance? You mentioned that you got one of them is 350 and the actual appreciate uh, the actual appraisal was 700 so can we talk about one of these deals sure yeah we can go into one of them yeah. um sure yeah like let's go off of the triplex that we bought or actually let's do a duplex we, we did a duplex in chatham so okay. the duplex we bought off market um it was a connection of mine mm-hmm. who yeah, he, he's kind of doing a, like the bird dog thing. He's finding properties and he'll buy some of the best and then wholesale the rest. And mm-hmm. so, I, you know, I basically paid a bit of a wholesale or bird dog feed uh, fee to him. Mm-hmm. And so bought the property, sight unseen, um, went in firm. And so it was pretty risky, but it was a duplex that was known to be like the halfway house in Chatham. 
mm. which is kind of funny. But um, the, the reason why is like, you know, people that were on parole from jail would kind of like hang out there. That would be their primary oh. residence. So you can kind of just imagine the, you know, the, the condition, like, you know, not to stereotype, but it was, it was pretty damn bad um, to the point where the tenants decided to, this is crazy and illegal. Um, they decided to not pay their utility bill. Okay. And then there's tenants living on the main floor. Which, again, they're on the upper floor. There's tenants on the main floor because it's a duplex. And they jimmy rigged the electrical panel to power the upper unit from the main floor. So these this older couple, they're like in their mid-70s. They're now paying the hydro bill for the upper floor. And they're on like a pension, so they can they they can't afford rent and hydro as is. Now the hydro bill is up an extra two fifty a month. Yeah. And so it was really just a painful situation for the main floor. So we were able to, to have them, we found them a place, we moved them out, paid for the moving costs because their backs were bad and they couldn't uh, couldn't move their, their furniture. So we paid for the moving costs, got them into a place and they're super happy. So that was like very fulfilling for me because I was like, I knew that they were in a challenge situation. They just couldn't, have, they couldn't find a place, number one, because in their mid seventies, they just didn't know how to use technology and they didn't have any children to help them. So they're, they didn't know how to find another place to live. Mm. They're used to finding places to rent from the newspaper, which just didn't exist anymore in Chatham. So we went on Kijiji. We found them a place. Mm. Uh, we we helped to be their landlord reference. We got them into a place. And um, so they moved out so we could start the rental on the main floor. And then the upper floor, we ended up getting out as well. It just took took a bit, bit of a couple cameras around the property because as you can imagine there was maybe a bit of illegal activity going on so we got them out through like just putting cameras up for the renovation um and so they got frustrated and they just took off and uh we bought the property for 185,000, oh. and it appraised uh about a year later it was like 11 months later for like mid um mid 350 so it was like 357 or something um so we, we did a full burr uh, rents went up triple what they were before, and mm. it's cash flowing a thousand bucks for a duplex. So, wow, we were pretty five hundred each. Yeah. Wow, that's really good. When was that? Yeah. That would have been we bought it in twenty nineteen, mm. and we finished up in twenty twenty. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Yeah. So no cash for keys. It just was they had to leave. No N thirteen. Well, the main floor, they, they, geez, like they were, they were happy to leave. <laughs> like we were like, they're saving grace. They're like, what took you so long is kind of their reaction. Oh, okay. um, so that was no, that was no issue. Cause again, they were in such a painful position. Um, it, it was, you know, for us to be able to find them a place and be their landlord reference and as well pay for the moving costs. Cause they couldn't move their furniture and whatnot. Hmm. Um, they, they were just like drowning slowly in debt because of like that hydro situation. And then, the upper floor was essentially doing like it's illegal to rewire electrical panels. Like, like I think a federal crime or something. Um, so like once we told them, Hey, like that's a federal crime. You can't do that. Like we're going to, we can report you. They, mm -hmm. they were already kind of gone. And then we just put up cameras because like there was a break and enter on the main floor. So we put cameras up and then that was enough. Cause I don't know what they were doing, but that was enough for them to take off. Cause they're like, we can't stay here if there's cameras. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, so uh, uh, as we discussed before the interview uh, about the market you focus on, uh, I think you were mentioning uh, Halifax and Darmos on Nova Scotia. So on, on this point, what was uh, your, I, and your business model is reliant, as you mentioned, on force appreciation, 
but for you what was the upside or the current uh, between the two different markets between south south of ontario and uh, nova scotia of course yeah well yeah southwestern ontario i have a power team there i've been there for like you know five six years it's been going really really well and i'm going to continue to, to invest in southwestern ontario um for, for me i've always looked at halifax and dartmouth as kind of like a nostalgic journey for her or project. I, I grew up like just outside of Halifax. Oh, okay. And so it was nice to kind of go home and do a project with friends and family. Oh, okay. And uh, and it could kind of be a nice place for me to go and visit when I go and visit my friends and family in, in Halifax. So that, that's kind of what interested me, number one. Hmm. Um, and number two as well, I also, also I always kind of saw Halifax and Dartmouth as underrated. And it's on, it's on the coast, right? It's like hmm. right on the ocean. It's beautiful here. Of course, I'm a little biased growing up here, but like it really truly is. It is. And comparing it to the West Coast, like think about the housing market in the West Coast, you know, in BC, yeah. you know, yeah. just Vancouver alone, Vancouver Island, insane housing prices. Hmm. And so you kind of think about Halifax and Dartmouth as like this underrated, soon to be maybe similar to Vancouver market where there's a, a foreigner um, tax percentage, you know, in Vancouver, if you're a foreigner buying there to kind of limit so maybe people are going to be going to Halifax and Dartmouth. And I knew of quite a few expansions that were happening mm. in Dartmouth and Halifax, like skyscrapers going up, lots of cranes in the air. So I knew that there was a lot of activity happening. Mm. And uh, and th then the nice kind of bonus or byproduct was, yes, I could go and visit friends and family too if I started buying here. I, I think the market and, um, on, on Halifax already appreciated well on the last couple of years. The price is going up already. It's not the same as, as South Ontario, but... Uh, yeah. It's appreciated well, I think, on the last couple of years. It has, yeah. Just a year ago, we bought a triplex. It was like eight months ago. Yeah. And uh, it's already gone up 30%. Like oh. 30%. We, we put 50 grand into it for the reno, and it's gone up, yeah, like quite a bit. So, so um, your strategy it was a triplex more... that we bought for 450 and a duplex just sold up the street for, it was like 650 or something. So. Wow. So you, you're more like a buy and hold or you focus on also flipping? I, I don't flip properties. I've only, I, I flipped a few in the past, but um, we don't focus on that. I don't do wholesaling. I do coaching and mm. consulting. That's kind of my full time, helping people to buy their first property. Mm. Um, that's more of my active income source. And then cash flow is nice from the portfolio, but the really the horizon I'm looking at is 10 years. Like I don't want to sell any of my properties ideally unless they're, really underperforming after a refi or something um, for 10 years. Like the very bare minimum is five years. And so even when I'm doing joint venturing, that's in our agreement. Our joint venture agreement is a minimum of five years into a deal with the, you know, the goal um, and the understanding that we're shooting for 10, like 10 is the horizon. That's really what we should be doing um, to weather the storm, weather the, you know, the, the down markets, the flat markets, everything, and come out on the other side profitable. Okay, so uh, especially as you mentioned that you have right now on under management 70 deals, uh, I think the main focus is right now is raising capital. So my question will be how you managed to create your system and what was your initial step to be successful to have a lot of GVs and to raise capital? And when you say system, is that like just how do I create systems in general or specifically? So how you started to have an actual system to approach GVs 
uh, shows a track of record, um, uh, structures a deal, um, split the profits, uh, your fees. So what was your system to uh, bring people in in your deals? And how uh, was your initial steps to do this? It's based on marketing, sure. yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, family and friends, uh, posting uh, uh, something on Instagram. What was your, your strategy for marketing, basically? Okay. Right. Yeah. Just to answer the systems question, um, I think like any business, like you need really good systems. And the best way to get systems I've found is to pay for them, to, to, to pay people that have already developed systems. Cause I, I hate the trial and error of like throwing things at the wall and seeing if it sticks. Hmm. I'd rather just like pay someone that's already figured this damn thing out, rip off their systems, duplicate them, and then start iterating them. And so I did that for the first, again, like two or three years, hmm. um, working with my mentor and then also just doing other coaching programs to learn everyone's systems. You know, I did like at one point I was in five different coaching programs hmm. and, and, you know, you kind of get different angles and everyone's opinions a bit different in the industry which i enjoyed and you kind of like make your own right you it's like a potluck of information and you just kind of pick and choose what you want and and for me i put together my robust system and then i i put it through trial and error and and it just kind of continued to iterate and adapt and make it better and revise it uh to the point now where like i have this what i think is world-class like system around how to market and brand and find joint venture money partners that have money in a mortgage and then after you find them, it's like, okay, well, now how do you vet them? Not everyone's going to be a good partner. And you should only partner with people in business that you know, like, and trust. So how do you dissect all that? And how do you understand it? So a lot of the coaching that I do with my students is, how do you trust someone? What does that mean? How do you really vet them? What's that experience look like? Are you in person? Are you on Zoom? Is it just a phone call? Um, do you get them to do applications? So there's actually four meetings um, that are set up very structured meetings, right? That are set up in a certain order. And during each of those meetings, it's like the onboarding of a joint venture money partner, right? So meeting one is more of a discovery meeting. It's like just very casual building rapport, getting to know each other. Mm -hmm. And then the next one's more analytics and you get to kind of dive into the performance of deals you've done or your coaches have done if you haven't done one um, and, and going over spreadsheets. And then the next one's like the JV letter of intent and outlining all the criteria that you both have, making sure it's in alignment. And then the fourth one is like starting to find deals, throw them their way and, and seeing if you can check all their boxes um, that you've set out in the JV letter of intent. Anyway, all, all that together, like you're looking at usually a month easily between those four meetings, one a week yeah. uh, before you hit the ground with the deal and you get started. So how I find people is, is you know, I kind of think of three circles of influence. So it's like LinkedIn, you know, you have your first connections, your second connections. So my, my first connections would be friends and family, people I already know, like, and trust. I, I don't tend to work with them as much. Um, certainly I could, I just don't have many people there that um, I'm partnering with. I like to not be a conflict of interest to that business versus personal can be a challenging uh, tight walk to, to, to make. So second connections would be referrals, people that you know, like, and trust refer you to someone else. So a friend of a friend, um, I, you know, I've worked with those people before. It's fine. I like to focus mainly on like, how do I build my new connections? The third circle, which is strangers, people I don't really know yet. Hmm. And how do I connect with them and do business with them? And that's where the branding and the marketing comes in. You need to really brand yourself in a certain way that people see as credible and legitimate and an authority in the industry. 
So, um, yeah, does that answer your question? Yeah, yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. I think uh, the next point will be uh, asking about um, developing your relation with your core team because uh, the main part is have a constant pipeline of um, leads to buy deals. So, how you manage to uh, start this relationship with your core team, which is, I can say, it's your uh, relatives, uh, whole, uh, wholesaler, and and all different find of uh, all different kind of finding the deals. So, how you started this relation? How you managed to have a system? Uh, is it new newsletters? Is approaching the actual landlords? So, what was your system to do this? Yeah, great question. I like to, at a high level, look at two different categories of my power team. So I have what I call my closing power team, and then I have what I also call my contractor power team. Hmm. So my closing power team, they're higher level individuals typically. They're going to be my lawyers, paralegals, mortgage brokers, realtors, property insurance uh, brokers. You know, those are my closing power team. It's to close the deal. It's to you know find the deal. It's to get the property closed essentially right mm -hmm. um now those people i tend to um you know put up on a higher pedestal necessarily than my contractor power team meaning like it's a lot right it's it's very complicated stuff i want to get referrals for sure um and i want to vet them too online so i want to make sure they have a, a credible website and that they're in real estate as a whole like mm -hmm. you know working with a lawyer that isn't in real estate isn't obviously going to vibe um, need to find someone that really does specialize in, in the space that you're in and they work with investors specifically. So, um, yeah, that, that's my closing power team. Best way again is like, you can do a Google search. Um, I would never go to like anywhere else other than Google to find them. Um, but ideally I find them through referrals, other investors that are in the industry and I've already tried these people out and enjoyed working with them. Now, my, my contractor power team, that's going to be you know, my flooring people, my, my painters, electricians, plumbers, even like I've started using project managers, people that will not be the one laying flooring, like a GC, a general contractor kind of does a bit of everything. They bring in their team, but they also do it. Whereas a project manager is kind of a, a step above that. It's like an, an investor that doesn't want to get their hands dirty, but is very sophisticated with renovations. So that's kind of like the higher level person in the renovation. So my, my contractor power team, um, I will go to Kijiji. I will go to private Facebook groups. Um, those tend to be really good, like investor private Facebook groups. But, I'll, you know, um, Google tends to be a bit more expensive because if you go on Google, like usually the companies there tend to be like, it's a large infrastructure. It's a large company. They have overhead and, you know, a lot of other expenses like marketing expenses. Yeah, 100%. I like to hire individual like self-employed people, people that like they do this after hours, maybe they work a nine to five and they're going to come on my job site in the evening or on the weekends to make a quick buck or something. Mm -hmm. um, they're, they're willing to be paid hourly or like a more reasonable and expensive rate. So that, that's how I do burrs is, you know, if I can get 25% off the going rate for a renovation, that, that's 25% that I got to save. And, you know, that, that helps me with the burr for sure. Okay. So those are the two different teams and uh, both are very important, right? Both have their own purpose. And I look at both a bit differently um, for sure. But especially that you, you've been targeting different markets. I don't think you're using the same team because you're all over the place from Chatham to Sarnia to uh, St. Thomas, also Halifax. So you did this multiple times, this approach 
by checking all of this uh, criteria, uh, checking, but what was the uh, big yes for you to choose an actual team? Yeah, that's a great question. And, and so I've, I've kind of stopped exploring, you know, at the beginning when everyone's investing, they're like, I want to go and buy here and there and there. And so you kind of realize that as you keep doing that, it doesn't scale that well because yeah. <laughs> you're putting in a lot of time into just connecting with these people and vetting them and screening them. And, you know, it's a lot. So, you know, my closing power team, uh, a bit different, they're able to work usually province to province. So I have a closing power team in say Ontario, and then I have one in Nova Scotia. Yeah. Right. So that's fine. Like my lawyer can do all the transactions in all of Ontario. Sure. My realtor, I have one in the Corth Lakes, one in St. Thomas, one in London. So that's the one in the closing team that is all over the place because they need to be local yeah. and, and really educated on that specific market. But everyone else in the closing power team, they're province to province. Yeah. Whereas contractors, they naturally have to be like, usually they'll drive within an hour. So London, St. Thomas, and sometimes Chatham and Sarnia, they're willing to go to all those four cities, sometimes one or two. Um, so I do have kind of a mixed bag there of like, some people will only do Sarnia and others will do a few different cities. So it does depend, but contractors are the biggest challenge because we started to buy in the Corth Lakes hmm. and that's like four hours away from my properties in Southwestern Ontario. So I needed to develop a whole nother contractor power team, which each time we do that, our team does over 200 phone calls to find like everyone. Sure, we could make a couple phone calls and just find a GC that could do it all, but it just tends to, again, be more expensive that way, where they're, they're subcontracting people in and then taking a cut and the, the price gets inflated for the rental, whereas we like to find individual piece of people and do meal piecing where we put it all together. Um, it's going to yeah, be cheaper. So for it you. just takes more time, yeah. but it's cheaper in the long run when we're scaling yeah. and doing more. Yeah. 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 You mentioned that you, you now uh, have your coaching program as an active income as part of your investments. So what was the motivation to start a coaching problem, a program and uh, how your coaching pro program help your business basically or your business model? Sure. Yeah. Uh, two different reasons for, well, three different reasons for doing the coaching program. Yeah. Um, the first one, uh, there was, you know, there was a morning that I woke up and I was like, I'm not really excited to do investing that much anymore in real estate. Like you, you kind of lose that ecstasy feeling of doing something for the first time where it's like, yeah, this is kind of lame now. Like I've done this and, and that's just who I am, by the way. Yeah. I like to kind of continue to learn and do different things. So yeah. um, I, I hit that kind of like enthusiastic kind of decline where yeah. I just wasn't excited to jump out of bed in the morning to buy bricks and mortar and drywall and paint. And, and oversee contractors, mm. but I'm like, I still love this space. I really do love the idea of like cash flow and what that can do for you and mm. financial freedom and, uh, and, 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 you know, giving you that time back to do what you love. Um, so it's a, it's a great vehicle and I believe in the vehicle and I wanted to give that to other people. Mm. And so this might be a bit selfish of me, but I really did want to live vicariously through my students. And that's why I started the coaching is like, I actually get to experience helping someone to, I, I see that ecstasy feeling in their eyes, you know, like, <laughs> holy smokes, did I just do that? Like, you know, they pull the trigger, they buy a property, it's their first one. Yeah. And they're like, they're on cloud nine. And, and they're freaking out a little bit. And and so that's fun for me, I get to see that and and their enthusiasm. So, you know, that that's the first thing. Um, the second reason is, there's a really good synergy between I'm still buying still investing. And that helps the coaching program. You know, my students see me actually doing it. 
um, still, uh, you know, still young, still have a long runway left. So as I continue to buy, that naturally, in, you know, inspires the students. Um, and, and the more students that I do as well, um, sometimes we get some joint venture partners too, and, and more of like an authority in the industry. So it, you know, it definitely does complement one another doing both the coaching and the investing. Um, the third reason is, yeah, like for sure it is my active income source. Usually people in real estate in the space have an active income source, um, whether they're and they're within still the real estate space, like whether they're doing mortgage broking or maybe they're, they're a realtor or they could be a real estate lawyer or they could be a contractor, property manager. You know, there's so many different options. Um, they could do flipping or wholesaling as like active income sources. For me, like I just really wanted to do coaching. That was like my go-to. So that's the one I chose. And I'm really glad I did it. You know, we've helped over 100 people in a year to buy their first two to four unit building. How and old? a lot of them came in and they're like 18 to 25 years old. Whoa. They have five grand or less to their name and we help them to find a joint venture partner. So, uh-huh. you know, uh-huh. they've just kind of read rich dad, poor dad. They're drinking the Kool-Aid and <laughs> it's the gateway drug, right? And all this yeah. craziness usually. So you seem young too. Sorry? You what seem young too. How old are you, by the way? I'm 26. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So you started the journey when you were, uh, I think, 20s or last, 20, uh, yeah. Yeah. 21. Yeah. Yeah. That's, like that's, yeah. that's a great uh, journey so far. Uh, I, I would like to ask you about it because you mentioned the coaching, but I'm going to go to the beginning of this. Who was your influential mentor? You, you mentioned Corey and you mentioned you had five different <laughs> coaching at the same time. But who was your influential mentor on real estate and general and business? Not particularly it have to be in business or real estate, but in general. Sure. Yeah, I've had a good amount of mentors. And that's something that I will always like do my best to, to continue to do in my life is like find these people that inspire me and like raise the standards. So. I've, I've had a few, um, I, I showed it, I guess, to, to Chris Thompson. So he's from Student Works Painting. And um, I was in that group for, for quite a few years. And then uh, Corey McKinnon. So he was, uh, you know, he, he does the real estate portfolio there. Both of those people, and, and I can name others too, they, they really do embrace the holistic approach to life where they're not just focused on business and making money, but, you know, their health, like, running half marathons and doing CrossFit or swimming at five in the morning, you know, like these people do that sort of thing. And, and they're in their forties, they're in their fifties and they have families for children. You know, how do you do that? How do you have four kids stay fit, stay healthy, and then also have this crazy successful career. Um, that's what I'm, you know, focused on. And it isn't just like business and making money and all that stuff. Like it's, it's about everything else. Everything has to work in your life. Um, together right it, it, it's so, so yeah I, I guess that would be my answer yeah, but those yeah. two have, have definitely influenced me a lot and there's other people you know that I've hired as coaches that again kind of I, I do look for those holistic people that have figured it all out if I just look at the one person that's like a workaholic and they ignore the rest in their life no, that's yeah. a, a slippery slope for me to yeah. To, yeah. to walk down yeah. I think my final question will be uh Going back to the education part, what was uh, the starting point for you to uh, to learn about real estate book-wise? And the next part will be, what is your uh, latest book grabbed your attention on real estate uh, business? 
Sure. Yeah. I would say that one of the most influential books, everyone says Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Of course, that had a bit of an impact. It certainly yeah. did. But the main one I would say um, outside of that would be Money, People, Deal. Oh, okay. um, so the book is called Money, People, Deal, yeah, like and it's by Stefan Arnio. And I found it was a really great book to kind of show showcase the importance of if you can find that property, that's uh, kind of the deal, right? If you can find the property, the money and the people will come to it. You know, if you can really get a good deal there, you know, buy a property for 75, 80 cents on the dollar, um, you know, 20, 25% off, you're not going to have an issue to find that money. And, and the joint venture partners or the contractors, everyone will come to it. So um, that that really was the first thing that made it clear that I need to like create my own lead generation funnel, like define off market deals and learn how to negotiate and learn how to present offers and go through that whole process. Right. So that, that was one real estate book, a recent one. I haven't really met, read many. I'm writing my own book, showed up to that, I guess, little plug, but um, writing my own book about helping people to buy their first income property and the steps to that. But that'll be out later on this year. It's kind of in the editing and production phase. Um, but I haven't read any recent real estate books actually. How many books you wrote so far? Uh, that would be my first book that I've. Okay. You know, okay. I'm writing. Okay. So uh, uh, I think my final question will be where our listener can follow your success. Yeah, a few different platforms. So we are on Instagram, on Facebook, uh, LinkedIn. So on Instagram and Facebook, you can go to Riley Oikel Investor. And so that that's the uh, the tag there. Or the handle, I think, is what it's called. And then uh, LinkedIn, it's just Riley Michael. So you, you okay. can go there, you can follow us. And um, yeah, you can go to my website too to check out some content. We write, geez, I think we've written over 100 blogs, uh, blog posts. So uh, lots of articles there or, or blogs with just like information that we put together to help the beginner investor. Someone between zero to five properties typically. And that that's just at RileyWickle.com. It was really good progress for you to uh, start your own mastermind, your coaching program. As I, I really like what you did basically on the last five years. It's really a great progress for you. Uh, I'm happy for you. Uh, thanks a lot for your time today. And we're really happy to bring you in again and appreciate your time. Thanks, Adam. Yeah, I had a, had a blast. Appreciate you having me on.